The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushdooney. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushdooney had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. Invisible Rulers, Chalcedon Position Paper, number 95. Many people like to believe that somewhere invisible rulers pull the strings which govern all of us. Such a belief denies that man is created in the image of God and is governed by two basic motives. First, Paul tells us, All men know the truth of God, things visible and invisible, because they are written in every atom of our being by our Creator. Men, quote, hold, unquote, or suppress these things because of their unrighteousness or injustice. No man anywhere can escape this knowledge. Romans 1, 17-21 For this reason all men are, quote, without excuse, unquote. Second, all men everywhere, as sons and daughters of Adam, are fallen, and they seek to be their own gods, determining law, morality, and all good and evil for themselves. Genesis 3, 5 The strings that pull us come out of our heart and mind. In the modern age, man has reversed the historic definitions of knowledge. First, according to Scripture, to know, love, and fear God is the beginning and essential part of knowledge and wisdom. Second, According to classical Greek philosophy, knowledge is gained by ascertaining the abstract universal ideas of the totality of being. Third, for science, especially after the Enlightenment, it was knowing the facts. This view is still very powerful. 
although it has been demonstrated that our presuppositions determine what is for us a fact. With Kant, a fourth view of knowledge came into dominance. Kant, in his preface to the second edition of his Critique of Pure Reason, stated the matter bluntly, Here there too it has been assumed that all our knowledge must conform to objects, but all such attempts ended in failure. We must therefore make trial whether we may not have more success in the task of metaphysics if we suppose that objects must conform to our knowledge, unquote. In other words, the, quote, real, unquote, world is what our mind says it must be. If you grasp Kant's implication, then you will understand the modern world, its religion, politics, art, education, and much, much more. The source of truth is no longer for the modern mind to be found in God, ideas, or facts, but in our own being, in our rationality, or in our feelings, according to some. Hegel embraced Kant's thinking and furthered it. In his The Phenomenology of Mind, he wrote, quote, I am I in the sense that I, which is object for me as soul and only object, is all reality and all that is present, unquote. The quote, I, is all reality, unquote. For Hegel, The rational is the real. Reality is what our reason says it must be. With such a premise, existentialism was inevitable. I have often called attention to the fact that modern man has a will to fiction. His basic reality is his imagination, and he lives out his life in his imagined world instead of reality. One of the most unpleasant letters I have received and there are many, often foul-mouthed from churchmen and atheists alike, declared me to be vicious because I was undercutting the dream world of harmless peoples. But is it harmless to live a lie? Never before in all of history have people lived so extensively in terms of their dream worlds rather than reality. They watch television by the hours, see movies, read fiction, and they believe that the world of their imagination is better than God's reality. Communists are not what they say they are, but what our imagination wants them to be. Politics is going to give us our hopes because we believe in it. Churches, too, often succeed by preaching smooth things and an easy, quote, gospel, unquote. When an artist asked to have permission to paint Cromwell's portrait, Cromwell granted it on the condition of honesty, that he be painted warts and all. No portraitist is likely to hear such a demand in our time. We want to be seen as we imagine ourselves to be. The modern mood was well stated by an early Romantic poet, William Blake, who complained, quote, Oh, why was I born with another face? Unquote. The, quote, real, unquote, face of his imagination was somehow not in place. Hegel's real world was the world of consciousness, the mind of man. This is the, quote, real, unquote, world of too many people now, in the churches and outside of them. A simple and grim evidence of this is that pastors who have congregations of elderly people find them complaining if the pastor talks about the evils of abortion. This, they say, is of no meaning to them, since they are past the childbearing years, 
They want sermons which are, quote, personally, unquote, helpful. When I hear, as I do regularly, of such common comments in our best churches, I am sick at heart and sometimes shiver in horror at God's certain judgment. Some people seem unaware that, quote, our God is a consuming fire, unquote. Hebrews 12:29. Too many people, I find, in their vain imagination, reduce God to a Father Christmas. They use biblical language with idolatrous purposes. Yes, we do have invisible rulers, in a sense, in various philosophers and their ideas, but they rule over us because they please us in their insistence on man as his own God. The true ruler of all things is Christ, for the government is upon his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. He warns us against ascribing the government of things to men or to secret satanic conspiracies. In Revelation 2, 24, he condemns all who study, quote, the deep things of Satan, unquote, in example, satanic conspiracies. To hold that the creature or any combination of creatures can take over control from God is a fearful sin. In Psalms 2, we see that God laughs at all human conspirators against him and at their believers. Because we do not live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4, we are the victims of our sins and of those who choose to exploit our sins. Too many people, for example, rail against, quote, the international bankers, unquote, without stopping to think that their debt living creates inflation and the kind of banking we now have. Of course, it is always more popular to talk about the sins of other people's and not our own. The prerequisites of all blessings from God include the confession of sin, our sins, not other people's sins. The old office of compline, which ended the day, had a telling prayer, a general confession. Quote, I confess to Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and before all the company of heaven, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed, through my fault, my own fault, my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, Almighty God, to have mercy upon me, to forgive me all my sins, and to make clean my heart within me." Unquote. When men and nations persist in sin and avoid confession, they become self-righteous and pharisaic. They insist in living in illusions about themselves an example, in living a lie in an insistence that their private fictions are public realities. We have a world today passionately devoted to its fictions. So deeply ingrained is this will to fiction that several friends who are monetary and market economists regularly find themselves rebuked for stating carefully documented facts. They are told, quote, it's people like you who create economic disasters by talking as you do, unquote. In some countries, it is now a criminal offense to cite the crime rate of any particular ethnic group, even though true. It is called racism to do so. Supposedly, if we ignore a group's sins, there will be better people, and so shall we. This is the will to fiction. It is the belief that the rational is the real, or, in Kant's terms, the real world 
the, quote, objective, unquote, world is in our minds, not out there. Thinking will make it so, supposedly. Is this not really insanity? There is a great chain of people involved in Kantian and Hegelian thinking. Marx was their intellectual heir. So too was John Dewey. And all political parties from the left to right are infected by Hegelian thought. Our intellectuals, our schools, pulpits, and media echo such thinking all too often. It undergirds antinomianism because antinomianism finds the idea of God's law, quote, out there, unquote, governing us all to be anathema. For Hegel, it is the spirit in the universe and man which is the source of all evolving truth. If we do not take the fall of man and original sin seriously, we will believe that some group of invisible rulers is responsible for our problems. We will then become good Pharisees, denouncing evil in someone else. If we believe in the fall and man's original sin, his will to be his own God, Genesis 3.5, then we identify the real problem and we see its locale in all of us. We know the remedy, Jesus Christ, and we know that His will must be done so that His kingdom may come. That will of the Lord is set forth in every word of the Bible. That book tells us, quote, Thou art the man, unquote. But it gives us the power to work as God's new creation to overcome the powers of darkness. We are the invisible rulers who will not rule. We find it much easier to blame others. March 1988 the Political Illusion, Chalcedon Position Paper number 96. It would be absurd to deny the importance of politics, but it is also very dangerous to overrate it. One of the persistent problems of Christendom has been the tendency to overrate both church and state. In Numbers 18, 21-26, we see that God orders the tithe to be paid, not to the priest, but to the Levites whose varied functions included education. Thus, worship, per se, received mainly a tithe of the tithe. At the same time, the civil tax was limited to half a shekel for all males over 18, the same amount for all. As a result, both church and state in Scripture are, however important, restricted in size and power. The power center is the covenant man and the family. Michael Kamen in a machine that would go of itself, the Constitution in American Culture, 1986, has shown how modern men since Newton have seen their hope and salvation in machines. The universe was seen as a machine, and politics were seen also as an area where, if the proper machinery of government were once established, all would then go well. Constitutionalism was seen as such a mechanism. Once properly established, it would ensure the orderly processes of government and justice. Machine imagery was used well into this century by men like Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. and President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Even the critics of the U.S. Constitution used the same language, saying, quote, The machinery of government under which we live is hopelessly antiquated and should be overhauled, unquote. After World War II, as colonies were granted independence, they were also given constitutions which had no meaning in terms of their cultures and laws. 
Not surprisingly, these constitutions soon became meaningless. Contrary to Western expectations, constitutions guaranteed nothing when the culture of a people was unrelated to the paper rules. In the 1930s, the New Dealers added a biological character to the, quote, mechanism, unquote, of the Constitution. After Darwin, they held that constitutions have also an organic character and thus must evolve into more advanced forms. This mechanistic and sometimes biological theory of law and constitutionalism was the first and major form of American, and often European, faith concerning political order. The second, stemming from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, held to a belief in the will of the people as embodied in the general will. Philip S. Paludin, in A Covenant with Death, The Constitution, Law, and Equality in the Civil War Era, 1975, has shown how the popular will came to outweigh law in many minds. Davy Crockett claimed that the heart of the common man was at least the equal of books and the learning of judges. He boasted of having never read a law book and of having based his decisions as a justice of the peace on, quote, common sense and honesty, unquote, and of having, quote, relied on natural-born sense and not law learning, unquote. Thus the certainty of the, quote, mechanism, unquote, of the Constitution was giving way for many to the natural goodness of man's will. Such advocates of man's natural wisdom held that no law or constitution could outweigh the will of man. Many, of course, tried to combine the idea of constitutions and laws as the mechanism of justice and government with the idea of supremacy of the popular will, the majority, or the democratic consensus. As a result of this union of the two ideas, it became commonplace to use the word, quote, democracy, unquote, instead of, quote, republic, unquote, in describing the United States. The U.S. Constitution was reinterpreted along democratic lines, as was the British Constitution. Will and mechanism had become a unity and an instrument whereby man's problems would be solved. Salvation was now on its way by means of the democratic process in and through civil government church and state have often seen themselves as man's saviors. One of the premises of the states of the ancient world was that a stateless man was no longer a man, that outside the state there was no salvation. A like belief has at times been common to some churches. The biblical faith, of course, is that there is no salvation outside of Christ. Peter declares, quote, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Unquote. Acts 4.12 Our Lord says plainly, quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Unquote. John 14.16 Ironically, I have been told by critics more than a few times that to believe in a salvation exclusively through Christ is bigotry. These same people will declare that there is neither hope nor future, no salvation, in other words, for men except through democracy. This is more than bigotry, it is Pharisaic stupidity. Modern men believe earnestly that their hope of salvation is in and through politics, through the state. 
As a result, the capture of the state in order to institute their plan of salvation is an urgent matter to many men and their political parties. Some talk as though the world will come to an end if the opposition party wins the election. Now, clearly, political parties can do some good and much harm, but they cannot create the good society nor a new paradise on earth. Political change is coercive change, not moral transformation. Political power cannot regenerate men. All too often, politics is the art of turning a working society into a disaster. At its best, however, civil government cannot give to a people the character they do not have. To expect social regeneration by means of politics is to believe in moral shortcuts. It is the belief that men and nations can be made new by legislation. Imperial Germany, before and during World War I, was very strongly socialistic. Every area of life was regulated and controlled. It was an ordered society. After World War I, many liberals believed that freedom from socialist regulations would produce, automatically, a free, liberal economy and society. The result instead was the moral anarchy of the Weimar Republic. It was not productive, as the liberals had hoped, but was instead given to lawlessness. In voting for Hitler, many people were voting for a return to order, for a respite from lawlessness, only to find that an ordered society can be a radically lawless one. Only a moral society can be a truly orderly one, and a moral society requires a regenerate people. Too often the churches have followed either one of two equally vain approaches to civil government. First, the social gospel faith sees man's hopes in terms of civil law. Hence, the control and use of the civil order becomes an essential step to social salvation. Instead of a personal moral commitment to charity and social responsibility, the social gospel churches substantiated political commitment. They are now dying because a century of social action has produced only minor goods and major ills. Second, the pietistic churches want no involvement in either society or civil government. For them, the essence of the gospel is, quote, you must be born again, unquote. They forget that this is the starting point, not the essence. For our Lord declares, quote, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or justice, unquote, Matthew six thirty three. Because of this misplaced emphasis, such churches produce at best usually only babes in Christ. They forget that a baby that never grows up is an idiot. It should not surprise us that such churches are marked by social impotence. People can attend them year in and year out and hear nothing either to offend or to challenge them. In effect, such churches give assent to the Savior state by their unwillingness to confront it. Salvation by political action is the ruling religion of our time. It is a form of humanism. It will destroy us in time. If we do not replace it with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the wholeness of the Word of God, we have, as a people sought salvation through education, quote, social justice, unquote, and also politics. All have failed us. It is time to bring back the King. April 
1988. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Till the 